All right, guys, it's time for the next level guy show. A men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today's guest is Fred Joyle. Fred is an author, speaker, entrepreneur and business advisor. He co-founded the most successful dentist referral service in the country, 1-800-DENTIST. He's previously written two books on marketing, has dabbled in stand-up and improv comedy, acted in bad movies and excellent TV commercials. His latest book, Super Bold, From Undercompetent to Charismatic in 90 Days, is an Amazon and Wall Street Journal bestseller and in my opinion, a game-changer on competence and finding your inner boldness. He once beats her Richard Branson in chess, and was also a question on Jeopardy. He's an avid cyclist, a below-average tennis player, and an even worse golfer. He lives in Los Angeles. And in this interview, we discuss how being bold can be learnt and it's not inherited, why interactions with no agenda will change your life, why you should chase failure and experience and not perfection, Fred's awesome mantra to use when you feel nervous and want to tap into your own inner boldness, and so much more. And now, let's get to the interview. Thank you so much for coming on. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Now, for people who don't recognize the name, could you give a quick introduction? Just, you know, if you had to give the cliche 30 second introduction. So my claim to fame is I started a company called 1-800-DENTIST way back in the 80s, and it ran for about 30 years. We ran millions of dollars of television commercials. And it was a, a very successful business. And it, it launched me into uh, an, a writing and speaking career, and which I've taken beyond just the dental world. And now I'm speaking about uh, how to cultivate the superpower of boldness. And I've written a book about it called Super Bold from Underconfident to Charismatic in 90 Days. And so I'm spending a lot of time coaching individuals, particularly executives on this, and also speaking to teams about this, uh, but also doing a lot of podcasts to get this message out. This has become my my latest passion after 30 years of, of working in business and also going from a very shy, underconfident person to somebody who can walk on stage uh, with 5,000 people in the audience and be energetic and excited and relaxed. So I transform myself and I want people to be able to do the same thing much quicker than I did. I love it because when I started reading the book, I thought, is this going to be another one of these? And then as I started getting into it, it was like page after page. I was going, that's awesome. Oh, I'm definitely doing that. And there was actual (laughs) concrete action steps. It wasn't just talking around it. You were actually giving stories about how you would overcome it, how we can actually do it. And then like there's somebody's that you can just go, you could just flick to that section and say, right, that's what I'm going to do. You know, like the journaling section, for example, is a, is a good enough book on its own. There's that much detail yeah. and content there. 
But what made you start wanting to initially become boldness? How would you define boldness and why is it important to us? A lot of people confuse confidence and boldness and, and people talk a lot more about you need to be more confident, which is a good thing to be. You want to be confident uh, and you want to feel that way. But confidence also is a feeling. Boldness is a way of acting. It's, it's essentially your confidence in action. You're doing stuff. You're trying stuff. You're saying stuff. You don't just feel good about yourself and, 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 and have a good view and opinion and feeling. You, you're doing stuff. You are taking risks. You are, you are going where other people wouldn't go because it makes them too uncomfortable. And it probably made you uncomfortable. Maybe it still does, but you're going anyway. There's a, there's an element of willingness to, to be uncomfortable. And try something. You know, they talk about, you know, courage isn't the absence of fear. It is action in the face of fear. If you're not afraid, you don't really need any courage. So, uh, and it's the same thing with boldness, but it is a, a muscle that you can develop and you do it in, in ways where it does in situations where it doesn't matter. That's really a lot of what I train is for you to build this boldness muscle when the stakes are low. So that when the stakes are high, you do what you want to do. You step up, you speak up, you stride into the situation and try something new or meet that person you want to meet or launch a business or any one of these things could be critical in your life. And you don't want to hesitate because life is filled with these single moment opportunities that the window closes on. And what drove me was I missed a lot of them. I, I watched the window close plenty of times, whether it was walking across the room to talk to some uh, woman that I wanted to meet or going on some adventure or, or trying something new that, that felt risky that I could maybe be, I'll be embarrassed. I'll be humiliated. People might laugh at me. All the stuff that we tell ourselves. So. You, it's for when it matters, you want this life skill. That's, that's what this is about. That's what being super bold is being able to call up on your boldness when it matters most. Cause you do say that in the book that boldness is a superpower and everything flows from that superpower. And I think that's what really comes across is like I liked in the book, as you read it, you start thinking about all the times that we weren't bold ourselves where we are at our current limits because we didn't go over and chat up to that girl that we fancied. We didn't go and push ourselves out or be confrontational as we needed. Do you think this is stemming from back in the cavemen days where we had our tribes and we're so far between each other that if you were ostracized by the tribe, you were then kicked out and you know you were then potential death, you were open to attack and all that sort of things. Is that where our kind of our ability to stay in the the social herd and not step out the shadows comes from do you think I, I it's very much there there is there is a deep primal need to fit in to save your life you need to stay mm. as part of the tribe 100,000 years ago you got kicked out of the tribe you died probably within days so either somebody from some other tribe killed you or some animal killed you because you didn't have a tribe to protect you. So it is deep in our programming. And much of that programming 
that we still carry with us. The, the, the reality is we react physically the same way to psychological danger as to physical danger. Our body, our autonomic yeah. nervous system does exactly the same thing, which is why we're sweating. We're holding our breath. We're tensing up. Our cognitive skills are shut down, our creative skills, because they're not important. We're in danger. So in, in, and our body is reacting that way. Now the danger is, oh, I might be embarrassed instead of something's going to eat me. So it's a big difference, but the body's doing the same thing and we freeze. We hesitate. We're, we're in fight, flight or freeze mode. Most of the time we're fleeing or, you know, in social situations, we freeze or we flee. We don't fight that much. But the body's doing that because it's supposed to. And you have to, you have to reinterpret the situation as not dangerous and train yourself to tolerate the danger. Just like the hunters were in, you know, a hundred thousand years ago were afraid, but they, they developed a tolerance for the fear so that they could go out and hunt for the tribe and feed them. So it's very so, deep in us. And, and, and people also, they train their children in this. Don't stand out. Don't be a show off. Don't draw attention to yourself. These are very powerful messages that are repeated over and over again. And they are massive impairments to our success in life. Because that's something I was very interested in was the book where you mentioned about how your mom was quite an outgoing person and, you know, you, she kind of pushed you into these social situations. And I've come from a, a very outgoing brother. My sister seemed to connect with everybody. I always felt like a black sheep. Like I always felt like I wasn't fitting and I, I didn't know my my tribe, you know, and I always felt like I was getting pushed into things. And it kind of, I don't know if it happened to you, but it kind of made me feel like taking a step back like I didn't like being in the light or the center of attention. Do you think that's something that we do is we fit into a role that our parents define, that our families define? Or is boldness, because some people think it's an inherited skill and that's our, our lot. How is boldness shaped by the family, do you think? I, I, I think a lot of it is the the parental input and then some social feedback. You know, you had a very outgoing brother and who knows why people start off that way i i look at i think about sometimes you'll be sitting on an airplane and a mother and a child will be walking down the aisle and and their little kid who's maybe three or four is saying hi to everyone in in every seat as he walks hi 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 and then another kid is hiding behind his mom's leg and can't make eye contact with anybody now how did that, that child get that way? I, I don't really know if it's, if there's a genetic thing or if something got reinforced or there was trauma early on the, that whatever fears they experienced, they, they become fearful of crowds, of strangers, of, of interaction. And yes, I think what happens is, we react the other way. My mom's outgoingness, I had a choice. I could either become that way and it was too uncomfortable. She overdosed me. She pushed me too far into a social situation I wasn't ready for without any preparation. She didn't teach me how to do it. She just said, oh, go do it. And it's like, 
I can't do it. I can't speak. I can't, I don't know what to say. I'm freezing and I don't know how to unfreeze myself. And she didn't know how to teach me because she, out of necessity, became a very bold person. She had, my brother uh, had polio as an infant and she had to figure out how to take care of him in in her 20s, how to get him the right doctors, the right physical therapists, how to sneak into the hospital and take care of him. All of this stuff was, it, it was, Absolute necessity. So she just did it. And that's who she became. I, she pushed me in the other direction because it was too soon, too much. And I think that's a lot of what happens. And we start to tell ourselves a story. I don't want to be like that. I'd rather be alone. I'd rather, and we end up spending a lot of time by ourselves, which in, in some ways we develop other skills. We do other stuff. We become we read a lot of books or we, we play a lot of video games or whatever, but we are depriving ourselves of social connection. We are, we are not just alone. We are lonely. And there's a big difference. I've, I'm alone a lot of the time because I got stuff to do that I need to do alone, but I also love being with people, love meeting new people and I didn't always because I wasn't good at it. I was actually terrible at it. And I could see the reaction with people. And it was because I just had nobody taught me good social skills. I spend a lot of time in the book, as you know, talking about how to cultivate these very specific social skills and what not to do in a lot of social situations that that people do by reflex or they do because they're anxious or nervous or nobody taught them not to. Because it's something I definitely agree with now where uh... Instead of giving your kids everything you didn't have, teach them the things you didn't have or didn't know. You know, teach them the skills because I've worked in jobs where I had to become bolder because I was speaking to groups of students or I was doing, you know, I had to go in and speak to a bunch of people at the time or demonstrate like procedures and things like that. So it got to a point where that was enforced. But like you're saying, there's all these things in the book where these are little things that maybe we don't have to do. They're not essential. It's not. Like, you know, getting medical treatment for a, your child, that's a key a key issue, which is going to give you that strength to fight for your, you know, the love of the child. Quite as maybe going and approaching a girl, ah, yeah, I'll, I'll speak to her later. Or um, I'll go and <laughs> ask about that, right, raise. Yeah, next time he looks busy just now. We're not taught these things. And um, like you said, we are taught this story where we're told it, that's your core characteristics. You can't change. How do we get that fixed mindset out and let people understand? You know, how do we even accept the fact we can become more bolder? How do you start training somebody's mind? I, I think they, the first step, and I do this in the book, I talk about it a lot, and that's part of the journaling, is think about those opportunities that you missed out on. You didn't speak up. And say something. You didn't introduce yourself to somebody. You, there was somebody really interesting that you wanted to meet, famous actor or, or athlete or business person. And you told yourself a story about why they wouldn't be interested in you. You were not worthy. This is a fabulous message that we give ourselves. I am not worthy to interact with this person, which is you have to defeat that, but you have to get upset about missing the opportunities. Enough to say, I don't want to miss any more opportunities. I don't, I don't want 
to stack up any more regrets and, and then realize it's going to take doing something different. It's going to take being a little bit uncomfortable and you're going to start really gradually. What my mom didn't know how to do was to control the intensity of the experience, to control the dosage of it and tell me how to just start. If she should, she just should have said, it's really easy to talk to people. You just do this. You say their name, you introduce yourself, you shake their hand, you make eye contact, you ask them questions about themselves. Because a lot of us say, well, I don't know what to say. It's like, you don't have to know what to say. You just have to ask them a question about themselves and then say something else and, and ask them another question. And they're going to give you the information that you get to work with. And then you may get a chance to tell them about you, but you want to just, you want to meter that out. I always, I, one of the things I talk about in the book is when you're with somebody, treat it like, like it, like it's a, a, a thriller, your, your conversation. Use suspense. Don't tell them everything. They say, Oh, well, what do you do? And you say, Oh, well, you know, I, I, I have a, a course on personal growth and I talk about boldness, but what do you do? So they, they're, they're like, wait a minute. That's all he's going to say about it. But I've gone back and, and I've, I'm digging deeper into that. I'm saying like, no, how do you do what you do? How, how do you find, uh, customers or an audience or what's the most satisfying thing about what you do? I'm going right back at them. And in the back of their mind, they're going, wait a minute. I need to know more about the boldness. So then I can trickle out a little bit more of that. And then I'm going to circle back to them. And what happens is in that interaction, they're learning about me in a way that is interesting to them because they're asking me about it. I'm not blurting out everything I can tell them to be interesting. A lot of times, especially shy or underconfident people, when we finally get to talk, we can't wait to, to sound interesting. So we, we talk a blue streak. We monologue which is one of the things I warn about in the book is like, stop monologuing. You're not a radio host, right? You don't have to fill all the air with your conversation, uh, with information about yourself, trickle it out and stop yourself. When you're monologuing, you have to stop yourself immediately when you, and you go, I'm sorry, I'm really passionate about this. So I go on about it, but I'm, I am really interested in knowing, you know, what, what happened to you when you were in Italy. And, and you get off yourself and they go, Oh, he's, he's pretty self aware that he knew he was, he was, he was really going off, but he didn't, he didn't trap me. So that, cause of certainly the other person is going to be standing there at some point thinking, is he going to pause so that I can say something or that I can indicate that I'm not that interested in this level of detail about this or about him yet? And if you don't, then they, they're, they're starting to think about where else they can be or who else they could talk to. Well, I mean, that's the good thing about the book is you talk about how to network, how to approach people that you fancy, how to make other people feel like they're part of, especially at the wallflower 
example, you know, where you said about going and meeting people like that, where you can see how far you've come along in your boldest journey, but you can also bring them out their shell and encourage them and inspire them. And it was awesome to see that you were kind of passing on this the, the boldest journey. And, you know, I would never have started this podcast 10 years ago. Um, you know, I was just terrified, but I think it was pickup actually when I started reading up and they were talking about going and saying, you know, speaking to everybody, be social to everybody, regardless if it's the CEO or the janitor. So I would chat to anybody and everybody. And I got to a point where I was in a job and one girl said, I don't know how you can do that. And I said, what do you mean? She said, you can deal with the customer. <laughs> And actually, like, well, sorry, with a student, and actually fix the stuff, but ask them about their day at the same time. And I was, I was thinking, well, that's just treating them like a normal person. But people see that as kind of magic skills. You know, it's, oh, I don't know how to be like a normal person. And I think that's <laughs> the thing is, what you think is great to somebody else, it's witchcraft. You know, we, we don't see how good we are at certain things. And, you mentioned in the book about not being cocky, but being confident, being bringing people into the conversation. Now, how do we start going into this mindset? How do we start, stop looking at the regrets we have? Because I have a lot of, oh, I wish I'd done that, I wish I'd done that. Like you mentioned in the book, how do we then say, okay, this is the line I'm now going forward. Have you, have you come to terms with regrets? Yeah, because I am diminishing them radically. And I, and I know I see myself in a situation where I'm hesitating and I say, ah, the old Fred is, is, is trying to take over here. That's mm-hmm. not going to happen. And I'm going to say something, but, and because I have built my social skills and it, my boldness muscle, I am going to be a normal person. Now, one of the key things that a lot of people forget or they, they do wrong when you talked about networking, uh, is that networking has almost inherent in it an agenda. You are meeting somebody to get something from them. The most yeah. powerful thing you can do when you want to meet people is have no agenda whatsoever. Have no sense of what you expect, ex- except to connect with that person and get to know them. I'll tell you a, 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 a perfect example of it because of the innocence of it was uh, so accurate. I was I got in my building in the elevator, and then the floor it stopped on another floor, and this a woman and her daughter got in, and the, the girl had a nice little bicycle and her funny little helmet. So I told her, I I love your, your unicorn helmet. She goes, Oh, thank you. Uh, and I said, do you want to push my floor? Because kids love to push the elevator button. (laughs) So she says, Oh oh, yeah. What floor? I said four. And so she pushes four and then she pushes five, which is their floor. And then she says, Oh, you're only one floor away from us. We can come up and visit sometime. And I thought, and it was just delightful. And I said, oh, yes, you can meet my cat. Well, what's your cat's name? Cookie. Oh, that's funny. It was the, she had no agenda and, but was totally open about, hey, 
we can come up and visit sometime. You live one floor above. She, there was, she had no outcome except we could play together. That, and mm. you have to get back to that innocence when you meet somebody. It's like, let's play together. Let's, let's find out about each other. I want to know about you, but you succeeded with your students because your questions, your interactions said, I care about you as a human being. Mm-hmm. And then everything flows from that. Now you, now you can coach them. Now you can give them the, the insight or advice that they need because you've started something the right way. And that's, it, that's very effective because and whenever, even if you're just trying to meet somebody in a coffee line, uh, at, you know, at, at a Starbucks or something like that or wherever, just, you, you're going to start conversing with them. And these are exercises in my book, but you have no agenda. You have, I, I am not looking to get their phone number. I'm not looking to recruit them as a, as a real estate customer or anything like that. I'm just meeting them. I am just connecting. I'm using the, the simple social power of connection to make somebody feel that they're connected to another human being, however briefly. Because it's something I think I love about kids is the way that they just say what's on their mind. You know, they're asking like, "Oh, what happened there? Oh, could you, why is the sky blue? Why is it?" You know, and you're it's they're just generally happy to speak to people and ask about your day and things like that. And I think we get taught that you know, or oh, don't be a show off at work. Oh, you know, to impress a girl, you've got to be cool. You've got to be aloof. Oh, you know, your friends will call you a, a bell end if you if you say you're into dancing. If you're a guy, all these kind of silliness. So we we're taught as we get older that you have to avoid being different. You have to avoid being the unique one. And you know, I love in the book where you talk about always go and speak to an old person because they, you know, they might be having a lonely time and it takes five minutes out of your day and you get a great connection, you get a great experience. You know, how do you how do you think people could start there? Could you give an example of some boldness test? Because for me, it was speaking to the cashier. It was asking somebody for the time. It was silly things where they were small f- to other people, but to me, they were life-changing as I gradually built up from there. What are some examples of miniature goals and boldness ventures we can go on one of the most effective things that you can do to connect immediately with somebody is to compliment them in some way and 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 i'm constantly telling you you know you're grown up now talk to strangers talk to them all the time everywhere you possibly can in the grocery store, in an elevator, in, in, you know, in a line at the coffee shop, where, wherever you are, just talk to somebody. And the easiest thing to do is find something about them that's interesting mm-hmm. to you or should be interesting and just say, you know, I just want to let you know that the purple hair on you looks amazing. I don't think I could pull it off, but it really works on you. Nobody's going to hate that. Or you could say, yeah. wow, I, I don't know where you got that suit, but it, you know, it is, it is really stylish. It looks great on you. Or where'd you get that handbag? I try to not talk about their bodies, particularly if it's a guy talking to, 
to a woman, but let go, you have a fantastic figure. You know, you're, you're moving into the creepy zone pretty quickly when you start to do <laughs> that stuff. You're not in the nightclub, right? That's when you can be as creepy as you want. And, you know, it's either not going to work for you or, or, or the person who is too drunk to not to notice and care. But in, in regular life, you, you want to talk about something they may, uh, be, have deliberately chosen as their look or their or their style or whatever. It's better to me than talking about the weather because it's a way to get personal without being too personal. You could just mm-hmm. say, you know, I you know I've I've gotten I love talking to people in elevators. So I've gotten an elevator and and two women will come in and and they'll be all dressed up and I'll just say you guys look amazing. This looks like a big night ahead for you. I have no agenda. I'm not trying to get their phone number. I'm just mm-hmm. passing it. They get all dressed up. You think they don't want somebody to notice? And and as long as I'm not venturing into creepy, I'm asking uh, you know i'm giving offering something nice to them about how they look and it could turn into something uh, you know i if somebody's wearing this unusual outfit i actually saw this woman the other night she was in a bar and she was she was dressed very wildly for the bar it was a really fun playful outfit and i just said you know you look amazing i mean we ended up having a 20 minute conversation she was, I wasn't looking to, to meet her. I, I have a girlfriend. I wasn't trying to pick her up, but, yeah. and because of that, she felt completely safe talking to me, but it was mm. all because I just, I acknowledged that she had made some effort to look really unique. And I wanted her to know that it was working for me. It was fun that what, what she was doing. Now, other people, other people in the bar may say, what is she doing? She's a show off. Why is she, why is she dressed like that? Whatever. It's like, why are you worried about that? What she is not worried about is what other people think. This is what bold people have mastered is they don't get hung up on the opinions of strangers. And that's a powerful, powerful place to be. And it takes a long time to let it go. It certainly is. And I think that's what comes across with, you know, you, there's a great bit in the book where you talk about the difference between creepy and confident and the difference between like being bold and being, yeah, I'm great. I do this. I do that, you know, and when to talk about yourself and how to talk about yourself, you break it down beautifully into what's cockiness about what's actual boldness, what's true boldness and what's you try to force it through. But for people who are maybe listening going, yeah, that's very great being able to say that, but that would be terrifying me. You tell a story about how you had asked for a dishwashing job and you just asked for it. And you said, you don't know quite what made you ask for it, but it, it just came out of you. What do you think that was? What was the initial step? How do we find that initial thing that says, I don't want this for the rest of my life, I'm going to step out, and you just do something that completely surprises you, how do we make that initial first step? That There's a, a moment, and, and really what you want to do is there, there have to be times in your life where you did speak up or you were, you stepped out of your shell or you did something, however briefly, 
And, but you don't know how to do it again because you don't know why you did it that time. But what happened is you somehow said, I'm, I'm, this is safe enough to say that, that I'm going to, I'm going to try it, even though it feels risky. It's not so risky. Uh, you know, whatever it is that, that you are, are suddenly willing to try it. Cause you can, some part of your intuition almost says, there's a little something here and I need to, I need to speak up. Now, when we talked about that dishwasher job, I barely spoke up. Uh, the, the, the guy, you know, just to give the story from the book, I was, I was 14 years old. I was hanging around in a pool hall and this guy came in looking for somebody else who was, he said, where's this kid? I need this kid. He's, and, and people said, he's not here. And he said, that damn kid, he, I, he's supposed to be washing dishes for me tonight. And, I, and, and I'm sitting over in the corner and I just said meekly, I'll work. Cause I, I wanted some money. I had no money <laughs> at 14. I, you know, my parents didn't have money to give me an allowance. I, I, I was hanging around the pool hall cause it was public. It was a boys club. And he just looked at me and went, who said that? Did you say that? Come with me. And that was it. I, I, I what am I going to say? Oh, I'm not coming with you. I just said, I'll work. And he, we jumped in his car. He drove me to the restaurant and I worked for 10 hours straight washing dishes. And from that, speaking up, his son became my best friend. I, it became a waiter job, then a bartending job, uh, all the way through college with, with, because of that moment of speaking up. And I get to look back and say, oh, yeah, some amazing stuff can happen from speaking up. And it just goes on and on how much flowed from a moment of step, speaking up and being bolder than I normally would be. If you have to look at those moments in your life and say, I want to be able to do that whenever I want. I, if, if I don't want to miss any more opportunities, I don't want to miss any more fun. If somebody says uh, the number of people that people say a, a, a great looking girl will come up to a guy and say, come on and dance with me. And the guy will say, I don't dance. I want to smack him. It's like, you don't <laughs> have to know how to dance. She knows how to dance. Stand up and say, I'm going to do, I'm just going to mimic you as best I can. And she'll say, don't worry about it. I just want to dance. She's enjoying uh, dancing and she doesn't want to dance alone. So that's the thing. Don't they want to share the experience. Right? Yeah. So, and, and, and we, we love to say this. I don't sing. I don't dance. I don't, whatever it is. And all we do is we're missing fun. We're missing connecting with people because we're, we are not a perfect dancer. This is, this is the trap that shy and underconfident people get into is before we try anything, we have to be perfect at it, which is impossible. First of all. And second of all, it's what bold people don't worry about. They're not afraid to suck at something first. And, and bumble along and screw up and, and you could say they're embarrassing themselves, except they don't feel embarrassed. They, they roll right with it. People are laughing at them. They don't care. They like it. And when the, and when you see that they don't care that people are laughing at them, you're more impressed with them. They say, wow, that, that's not bothering them at all, that they look foolish. 
Because, yeah, because they decided to not label it as foolish. They labeled it as fun. They labeled it as, I'm just a human being trying stuff. They'll get up and sing karaoke horribly weekend after weekend. They don't care. And people go, you got to love the commitment because they'll be trying all, they'll be performing with no voice. They don't care. And you love it. And then there's another guy with the perfect voice who's like singing perfectly, but he's completely still and shy. And, and then they walk up the stage and go, wow, good voice. But the person who, who, you know, did a full Tina Turner performance with no voice, that's the person they remember. That's the person yeah. they're impressed with. That's the person they want to talk to. They'll just go, wow, that was great. Uh, and, and he'll say, or she'll say, yeah, I don't have a really good voice, but I love singing. And they'll go, it doesn't matter. You, your commitment was everything. That was the fun for us. It's not, people think everything's a competition for who's going to be the best at stuff. And it's really not. It's sometimes the best nights of your life when you actually just stop giving a shit, as we would say. You know, you just go, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to have a laugh. And I think it's sometimes you see it on people's faces. They kind of go, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm doing this. And that's, as a former shy person as well, I could remember the feelings when I was reading that going, I know exactly how he feels. That moment you step up and go, I'll work. And you can feel the voice, the stress and stuff. And you mentioned in the book about how we need to make sure that we're being the person that's not holding ourselves back. You're actually just letting, you're stepping out your own way to become bolder, to do these things, to live life. How do we adopt this mindset? How do we start thinking, like, get out our own way, you know, just fake it till we make it. How do we get over that fear that arises as we go, I'm going to speak to her, but and then you feel that fear. Do you have a way, like a mantra, a way of getting through that initial oomph that's till we break that characteristic? I, I like to, a mantra that I like to have people do in every situation, especially in any situation where they feel underconfident, to say to yourself, I belong everywhere. Love Wherever it. I am, I belong here. Simply because you're a human being. It could be, I've been in rooms with billionaires. Everybody makes way more money and is way more successful than I do, uh, uh, than I am. And I can just walk up and talk to them because they're still a human being. And I belong there by virtue of being a human being. They got luckier in business. They worked harder. They tried something different than I did, whatever. They were more ambitious. Doesn't matter. They're, they're, they still have strengths and weaknesses and fears and doubts and things that matter to them, uh, things that they're passionate about. They're, they are the whole mix of a human being just like me. They just happen to be CEO of something or, uh, you know, very successful at something else. Mostly probably because they worked really hard at it, but I don't have to tell myself I don't belong ever. So you really have to, one, you have to listen to the voice that's in your head and say, I hear you, but I'm not listening because you're not right. It's, we have all these, we have negative voices. I call it Dr. No, who is saying people are going to laugh at you. That person won't be interested in you. Uh, you're going to embarrass yourself. You don't belong here. And it's an, it's an amazing array of bullshit that, that we can tell ourselves. 
Bold yep. people don't do that. They, they, they hear it, but they don't listen. They go, they ignore it and they say, yeah, that's interesting, but I'm not going to stop me. The main thing that we do as hesitant and underconfident people is we are the one who stops us, not anybody else. What bold people know is that if you don't stop yourself 99% of the time, things are going to go your way or you're going to discover something new, but nothing bad is going to happen. We have this terror of something bad is going to happen. Oh, if I get up and dance, something bad is going to happen. Like what? Oh, people will laugh at me. What people? Those people. Do you know them? No. Why do you care about their opinion? Well, and you're stuck because you don't have an answer. Why you care about a stranger's opinion of you? Do they know? Because you need the insight to say they don't know you. So why do you care? Because you say, just look at yourself. You you look at people. You'll walk around a room, or you'll be somewhere, and you'll have you'll see somebody by the way they're dressed, or the way they cut their hair, or anything, and you'll have a, an opinion about them. I've learned that I'm wrong about ninety two percent of the time when I, if I actually get to meet the person, because my my first judgment is totally superficial, based on all my biases from my whole life. I told people, oh yeah, they're, you know, they're, you know, they're obnoxious, you know, I could, whatever I could I'll come up with something. Right. Uh, you know, really attractive women are aloof. Are they all aloof or was that one that you wanted to meet aloof or was she even aloof or was she actually shy, but it came off as aloof. So we're, we're wrong so much. You just got to go, forget what other people are thinking and forget this voice and what it's telling me. I am never going to be the one to stop myself. And, and, and it takes doing it gradually and it takes doing exercises uh, that where it doesn't matter where the stakes are so low, it doesn't matter. One of the exercises I love to tell people how to, to, to do to build this up is anytime you see an employee's only sign, go in. Nothing bad will happen. We People go like, oh, I can't go in there. There's a sign. Exactly. It's just a sign. It's not against the law to walk into a room where it says employees only. And, and you're doing it just to realize that nothing terrible is going to happen. Nothing bad at all is going to happen. Somebody may say something like, this is for employees only. Or, I'm sorry, uh, are you lost? You could say, yes, because it's just an ex- exercise. It, it, you don't actually, you're not an employee there. So probably shouldn't be in the room, but it, you know, there isn't an orgy going on in that room. There isn't, you know, there isn't oh, crimes being plotted. Uh, yeah. you know, you should be so lucky, right? Um, and so, so nothing when you do stuff like that and you go, wow, I had all of this stuff. I'm telling myself, oh, I can't go in there. Somebody's going to say something. Yes, somebody's probably going to say something. So what? You don't, you, you're not an employee. I'll even say, like, if, when I do it and they'll say, oh, uh, this is for employees only, I'll say, I, I am an employee, just not here. And they'll look at me like I'm insane. <laughs> and it's I will leave. Answer. Well. Yeah. Um, I, it's like, so I, I took it more broadly. <laughs> Anybody who has a job is welcome. Um, and they'll, they'll laugh at the stupidity of it. 
And, but all I'm doing is building my boldness muscle. It's like doing push-ups. We don't do push-ups for our, our ability to do a bunch of push-ups. We do it so our body is stronger, so that we have strength when we need it for stuff where we actually need strength. Nobody has a need to lie on the floor and push themselves up over and over and over again, uh, unless you're playing with a kid who happens to be on your back. We, we exercise to get stronger. We do boldness exercises so we have that strength when it matters, when it matters a lot, when you're asking for a raise and you want to be calm and clear and have your full cognitive powers. When you're starting a business and raising money, you want to speak clearly and confidently and passionately about your business and say, this is a great business and you are going to miss an opportunity if you don't invest in it because I am going to make it happen. Because you know what? It's a little secret about raising money for your businesses. The people who invest in businesses invest in the people, not the idea. So you, why do you want to be bold and confident? Because if you're trying to do that, that's what they're buying. They will bet on a confident, charismatic person all day long rather than a brilliant engineer who can't explain his ideas really well. And is, is afraid of his own shadow. So, cause that's what they're saying. Is, to uh, it, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, you, it, there are times when it's going to matter. You may, I, I constantly meet people at funerals. I don't, not that I'm going to funerals constantly, but you know, at funerals and they say, Oh, I don't, I don't, I, I'm a, I'm not comfortable speaking in front of people or I hate speaking in front of, they love to say, I hate public speaking. Many, many people love to say, you know, this, this is, this, they define themselves as, oh, I don't like to speak in front of people. I hate that. Uh, and I say, well, hate's a pretty strong word. And, you know, this is your best friend who passed away and you're not going to get up and say something. It's not a performance, right? Nobody's recording it to broadcast or put it on YouTube or something like that. This is your one chance to stand up and say how you feel about this person and what they meant to you. And you don't have to be articulate. You just have to stand up and say something because you're going to regret it the rest of your life if you don't. That's you why you build that the bold this muscle. Yeah. You know, about giving a eulogy to your, um, like you watch your cousin give a eulogy and you thought it was an amazing thing and you wanted to be able to do that. And I've said that to people. It's You're not thinking you're going to change your life by just going up and speaking to the cashier or something like that. But you're making yourself a bit bolder when then that gives you that little bit extra, like it's, it's a new version of you. It's your expansion of your comfort zone to start from. And then the next time you do a bold thing, you're jumping off from the new point, not from your current point. And then you're expanding again and again and again. So when you do need to become bold, You've got the experience. You've got these feelings and understanding of, of the newer version of yourself. And that's what I really liked about the book was you really took it from a point of, um, you know, you didn't just say, oh, well, become bolder. Everything becomes rosy. You actually went back and said, there will be events that you hate about yourself. Cringe worthy events. You know, and you talk about how we look at them and derive different meanings from them to understand it differently, to stop letting them hold ourselves back. Could you go into a little bit about that? Because that was an amazing kind of eye opener when I read that part. You know, to stop yeah, making. I mean, 
you want to be able to to let those go and say, look, we're all on a path. Nobody is perfect and and lives a perfect life where they're charming all the time and clever all the time and successful all the time. Most of us are, are bumbling along and sometimes we we just uh, we it's a total fail. We we just said the wrong thing at the wrong time or we just we didn't step up at all and 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 it just gnaws at us and you, you know and and you have you have to mine those like gold and say okay what's in it for why was i like that and am i ever going to miss that opportunity again or i am ever going to am i ever going to be in a position where uh, I, I do or say something because I'm so awkward in the situation that I feel humiliated and it gnaws at me forever. Now, the reality is the other person or persons there, they're not storing it like you are. They're not thinking about you for the rest of their lives. You can mm-hmm. think about it 20 years later and still go, Oh, why did I say that? That was so stupid. I was so, people thought I was so weird or so odd or whatever. It was so embarrassing. Everybody else there has no recollection of it, but you're carrying it around like an arrow that's still sticking out of your back. You need to release yourself from that and say, we all do this, but bold people decide not to let it impair them and keep them from acting. You know, it's like, of course it feels bad to have a cringeworthy moment to remember, but you have to not let it be something that keeps you from having a full and satisfying life and chasing your dreams and connecting with people and having fun. And, and eventually you get to the point where you go, I don't, I don't have to choose to be embarrassed. I, I, I use the example of like, like if I'm at a dinner with a bunch of people and I spill wine on my nice white shirt, as I'm sipping it, I could choose to be embarrassed or humiliated or whatever and think, oh, people are going to think I'm clumsy. I'm a slob. I don't what they're going to, oh, everybody's going to be staring at this stain on my shirt. It's like, I just want to go somewhere and change or, or like maybe I get a coat and button it up over it or whatever. And I, and I'm just, I've got all this stuff going on just because I spilled some wine on my shirt. Or I could say, this is why my dry cleaner loves me and everybody laughs mm-hmm. and it's over. You, you don't have to turn it into a cringeworthy moment just because you cringed when you saw yourself do it. You're like, great. Choose a different reaction so that every, that, that is a confident reaction that says, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with a giant stain on my shirt. You know why? Because nobody's perfect. We've all spilled stuff on ourselves. We've all stumbled. We've all said the wrong thing. We've all been in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong outfit on or whatever. And you know what? It's not fatal. It's nothing is is bad unless you decide to label it as bad in any of these social situations. And when you see that and you do it, you just all it takes is doing that once and you see everybody go, wow, that was a great reaction. Now they're actually kind of in awe of you instead of feel, oh boy, that's, that looks bad. You know, he's probably going to be wishing he could change that shirt. Instead, you know, you just say, maybe if I add a little wine, it could look more like a necktie 
whatever. You you just <laughs> be just ridiculous. You don't you just you you don't have to own the embarrassment. You can let it bounce right off you. But it takes practice. It's it's a choice to do that. But all of these things, when you the insight that you have that it's a choice, it is not an inevitable necessary reaction. You can react a different way. You can take a breath and go, hmm, what's funny about this? What's human about this? Everything. Hmm. And then just roll with it. Yeah. Because that comes across in the book is, you know, you can recalibrate, readjust, and restart. You know, you don't need to see it as like the end of a night. Oh, that's you devastated if you try to be bold. You can just roll with it and use that for your next introduction. And, you know, you can make make stories, make introductions. And I think that's a lot of what people think is being bold. They have to be cocky. They have to be arrogant. They have to be aggressive. When do we yeah, know... I, I, there's a, a another great story about uh, you know because this is this the, this applies of course to women too is to, to move through life without confidence with confidence and boldness doesn't mean you're a show off or you're you're trying to attract attention it just means that you belong everywhere and you act that way and you don't have to be perfect in order to be accepted uh, you know an example is this woman I know she's on stage. Good size audience and she's strutting around on the stage and she's really got her game going on. And, and then she breaks the heel off of her, one of her high heels and she looks down and looks at the audience, looks down at the shoes again, kicks them off and says, I guess I got to start paying more than $30 for a pair of shoes. Now she owns them. At that point, because here she is in what most women would consider a horrifying moment. And she, she didn't not, didn't let it pass and ignore it or just roll through it. She used it to say, I'm a human being. And then she made a joke. Like she, I spent 30, like she spends $30 on shoes. She doesn't spend $30 on shoes, but she thought because she was bold and confident enough to be in the moment and say, there's no reason to be embarrassed. There's something funny to say right here. Think of, think of that. And, and, and like I said, and the whole audience goes, she's amazing because she's a human being. I would be dying if that happened to me and look at her. She just laughs it off. She makes us laugh. I love That's, that. I love and, powerful it's time for a quick break there are millions of potential products to buy so how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money simple you go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life you'll find deals listener exclusives and special offers with some great companies recommendations are 100 percent honest and only on items ian has tried or believes in the company showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. So could you go into a little bit then about, you talk about how we can connect, how we can be physical with people, how we can 
you know, go and speak to the wallflower in the party. You know, we're social animals, uh, but we seem to fight against becoming social again. You know, it's almost like we're we're scared of negative feedback. So how, you know, say if you are speaking to somebody and you get rejected or you go up and speak to the cashier or a family friend and they go, oh, don't be a dick. Or, you know, like they give you something that you would normally, it's criticism. How can we react to this and not let it destroy the the boldness leveling up we're doing? The, the most powerful insight is that most of the time their reaction is not anywhere near as much about you as you think it is. It is about what else is going on with them, what headspace they may be in. This could be the worst day of their life. They could just come off of a, a terrible argument with their spouse, or they could have somebody sued them for divorce or somebody sued them for something else. Or uh, their their last two encounters with people, somebody, you know, was really rude and insulting to them and they they, they don't have any, uh, social interest at that moment. It's a choice to take it on or not take it on. And that's, and so when I teach exercises, some of the exercises are so basic. It's walk down the street and smile at everybody you meet with the intention of finding the person who won't smile back and then don't take it on. Because somebody's not going to smile back. Most, what, first of all, you're going to learn most people are going to smile back. And you're going to go, wow, everybody just smiles back at me. One, you have no agenda. You're just walking by them. And somebody's not going to smile back. And you don't have to say, oh, the, that, it, something's wrong with me. They won't smile back at me. You can just say, I don't know what's going on in their day. Because you don't. You don't know anything about them. So why would you take it on? And when you do that, you build up this callus essentially about rejection because we all want to take it all on. We all want to say, I'm not worthy. Well, guess what? I am worthy is one of the most powerful things you can tell yourself because you are. There's nothing that disqualifies you from the human race. Maybe if you're a serial killer, okay, or a pedophile, you, you, you don't belong in the human race anymore. But the rest of us, we are worthy to be Wherever we are, we are worthy to meet anyone and interact with anyone because we're all human beings. And But if you just understand that something else could be going on 99% of the time, it's got nothing to do with you. And if it does have something to do with you, here's the other insight. Does everybody have to love you? That's kind of a tall order. <laughs> that's really expecting a lot from 7 billion people. You, 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 you want to, and, and do you want everybody to like you? Do you want 10,000 friends except maybe on LinkedIn? So you, you don't need 10,000 friends. You need five good friends. You need a social circle of 20 or 30 people. That's an incredibly satisfying life. And so you don't need everybody to love you. It's actually kind of overwhelming. It, it, people who are famous will tell you it's great to be famous for about two days. And then after that, it mostly sucks because now you can't go to the movies with your kid. Now you can't go to a restaurant. Now you can't fly on an airplane. You got to fly private because people come at you. 
and and, and you know, suddenly you're trapped in this bubble of protection from the world. And you remember being able to just walk around like a normal person. So it's important to understand that you don't need everybody or want everybody to love you and like you and want to be with you. That's an overwhelming life. But when, but you want the people that you really want to attract in your life. And the only way you find that out, it's, it's, you know, dating is the same way. The only way you find out who you want to be with is by date, dating as many of the wrong people as possible to go, well, I definitely don't want that. I sure thought I did, but I absolutely don't want somebody like that. I thought that was the most important thing. It's, it, it, it was the most irritating thing. And then eventually you narrow it down and, and develop that skill to say, Oh, I'm starting to resonate with this person. And you know, you either, they become a really good friend or they become a business partner or they, or, or they become somebody you date and maybe marry and have a long relationship with. You're not looking for a thousand people. You're, you're, you're looking, looking for your to tribe. be able to find those people that you do resonate with. You're trying mm. to find your tribe. My tribe's pretty big because I, I resonate with a lot of people and I move in a lot of different social circles. But I also, I have that inner circle of people that would do anything for me and I would do anything for them. And they are precious to me because I can be myself with them. And that's all we're trying to do. That's what boldness is, is you can be yourself everywhere because you belong everywhere and you're worthy and you deserve to to be wherever you want to be. I love that. I mean, that, all through that, I was thinking like of the times I've been to parties and thinking, oh, I would love to go and approach that girl, but what happens if her friends laugh or I want to do this, I want to do that. You know, and then it's like, I should be thinking, would I ever see these people again? Nah. Are they going to get, are they going to remember about it if they pass me in the street? Nah. You know, is somebody going to take the mick out of me? Yeah. I mean, I've been blazing drunk and made a fool of myself before and had people joke about it. Did it ruin my life? No. I just got, you know, it was just, I made a joke of it and it became like, uh, oh, let's go to the next topic. You know, it's, we make this thing up into our head that it's the end of the world. When a lot of times it's just people feeling nervous themselves, they want something to talk about, so they pick on somebody else rather than deflect it back at themselves. And that's what I love about the book. So how do we then realize, how do we interact with people? How do we network? How do we go into meetings, remove people from pedestals? How do we, you know, stop thinking about what we're doing and use the power of honesty and, you know, and candor, like you mentioned in the book? How can we connect deeply physically and actually make connections that people remember there's a i teach this in the book which is a, a very specific skill social skill fabulous thing i learned it much too late in life but it's how to make somebody feel like the most important person in the room mm-hmm. and it's really simple how you do it but people fail at it all the time and the the you look at them and you introduce yourself you say hi to them you stay completely focused on them and and you're listening to learn 
not listening to reply. Really powerful. And instead of offering stuff to them, don't feel like you have to be clever. Don't feel like you have to be funny. Nice is a perfectly good way to start. Courteous. I would really like to meet you. You seem like a really interesting person. My name's Fred. Are they going to say get away? If they do, you should probably get away because they're in a different <laughs> headspace than you want to interact with. You don't have to take it on. But 99% of the time, they're going to say, oh, I'm, I'm Angela. I'm Frank or whatever. Nice to meet you. And then ask open-ended questions. Don't just, don't ask yes or no questions. Don't say how you doing because that's not a question. That's a good, how you doing? That's a, that's a little ping pong that, that goes nowhere. You want to say, you, you know, how, how did you get to meet the host? Uh, what's the most interesting thing that happened to you this week? What's the most interesting place you went to last year? Huge open ended question. And they're going to start talking about something and they're going to go, Oh, you know, most interesting thing this week. And I hadn't really thought about that, but you, you know what the, the reality is, uh, my ex wife called me up and said, you know what? Uh, I, I need a huge favor from you and I'll, I'll do anything you want. I need you to take the kids next week. Uh, and, and she'd never been that nice about it before. And you go, and all of a sudden this person is just, cause you made them think about last, what was interesting about last week. And they go like, wow, that was like a turning point in our post marriage relationship. And you go, and then you say, yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. And instead of the, the real trick here is don't reply with your, story that's similar to that. That's the reflex is go, oh yeah, me and my ex, we're still fighting all the time. You know, she, she, you know, toilet papers my house twice a week, you know? <laughs> uh, and it's like, you don't need to tell your story yet. What you need to do is say, uh, you know, how do you think you got that way? If the parenthetical, the subtext of your conversation with them is tell me more about yourself. Tell me more. That's that's how you're thinking. How can I get them to tell me more? What can I ask? And you may just say, tell me more about that. Tell me more about this, this the trip to Rome. It sounds fascinating. And they'll go, oh, yeah, but I had no idea that how good the espresso was going to be. I didn't even like coffee till I went to Rome. And now I'm addicted to it because I, I, I took my first shot of espresso. And it was I, I, I was having twice as much fun in Rome because of it. Whatever the heck they say now, and, and you could have a conversation. And so now you're listening to them. You're focused only on them. You never look away. You never look at who might more, be more interesting to talk to because people can, they can tell when you've focused your eyes on something else. So you never do it. You never break away. You stay with them. You listen. You ask questions. You've, and then when you leave, you don't break away going, Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to go talk to some people. And you, and you wander away. You stay locked on them and say, Ian, it was really great meeting you. Really great talking to you. I, I love that whole thing about Rome. I'm going to go to that espresso bar because, uh, I love espresso and I'm, I'm a connoisseur. 
I want to talk to a couple other people, but it was really great to meet you. And I, I look forward to running into you again sometime. And then you walk away. So you've said their name. You've said something that you remembered because you were actively listening. You were not listening to reply. You were listening to learn. When you do that, and and then maybe the next time you see them, you remember them and remember something about them, they will think you're the most fascinating person in the room. And you may have told them nothing about yourself because you've been asking them to tell them tell you more about themselves. And And you can even go around the room and start to interview people. Now you go find the wallflower, start to talk to her, they're easy to find because they're looking at the record collection or the books and, yep. and while the rest of the people uh, are, are standing around and they're making no eye contact with everyone. And you just go up and say, hi, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I you know, you, you seem really interesting. I'd really love to meet you. Now they go like, why does he think I'm interesting? But they don't care that you do think they're interesting. They, they, they like the idea that you might suspect that they're interesting. And you suspect that they're interesting because they're studying the books or whatever the hell it is. But now you're going to peel them open. You're going to, you're going to expand that wallflower and invite them into the human race. It's like, it's time to be social because there's, it's not only nothing wrong with it. It is, we're all wired this way. We all need this. And then you're going to talk to them and say, you know who you need to meet? You need to meet Fred. Okay. You know, he, he's actually written a couple of books. Uh, I think you'd be really interested in hearing about some of his books. Come on over. I, I, you know, he's talking to a couple of people, but I'm just going to bring you, bring you in. We're going to interrupt him. We're going to, I want to introduce you because mm. he'd be, he'd be really interested in talking to you. You, you could do that through, through an entire gathering of, event. You'd meet 20 or 30 people, know a lot about all of them, and they'd all remember you. And they would know almost nothing about you except that you introduced them and remembered this about them and remembered people's names and all of that stuff. And it all becomes possible because you built your boldness muscle so that you don't forget their name because you're so nervous just talking to them. You think of the right things to say and you remember stuff because your brain is working because you've learned to be relaxed while you're being social. These are, this is, this is a powerful life skill. And this is something you can do anywhere because your agenda is to connect as many people as possible, not to get anything out of it. And you know what? You'll get tons out of it. Oh, I love that. I mean, that alone was probably worth, like, you know, could sell the book. Just that couple of minutes, <laughs> like, is, it was just, I was sitting there, like, it was difficult to do research for the book because a lot of times I was kind of going okay I could spend an hour on that alone I could spend an hour on this area alone (laughs) and I love that thing about going and just speaking to people and not expecting anything from return just being nice about them and making it all about them and you know you hear people saying just mention their name you know everybody loves hearing their name doing this do that and it's always like when you try to build attraction with a girl or when you try to get something from it and you know, I love that you were just saying, just go and speak to people. Just you know, you might get a great tip out of it, but if you don't, you still get the satisfaction of making somebody's day of being. You know, um, people buy in, like the investors. You know, for example, they buy into the story of the product and the people. They're not buying into the skills. They're buying into the story of the mission, etc. 
you know, people are buying into you being interested in them. And I love that. And I highly recommend the book. I think it's one of the best books I've read in so long. And it's initially when I read it, I was like, oh, here we go. It's another book. You know, and then I started going, whoa, this is life. You know, And I can understand why you had so many good reviews on Amazon. People saying, it changed my life. It did this for me. It made me so much more confident. But how do we review this? How do we keep changing and keep evolving? How do we review it, set goals? How do we look back and go, okay, for this week, this happened and I need to do this more? How Do we need to take it that serious? Or do we just keep building and building? I would take it that absolutely. I I mean, one of the things in the book that I talk about that's critical as a life skill is uh, if if you want to change something that's important to you, you have to work at it every day. You have to do something every day to build your boldness muscle. And it could be as simple as I'm going to say hi to the person in the grocery store in the line behind me. Or uh, uh, in uh, or the cashier, and uh, you know, and anytime I see a name tag, I'm going to use their name, and I'm going to say something. Mm. Wow, that's your nails are amazing. Uh, that that must have taken hours to do. Oh well, you know, it's worth it. I I, I love them. You know, but you're saying their name, Cynthia. Those your name, your, your nails are fantastic. You did a drive by compliment. Uh, it's uh, and. It's so powerful, but you, you do something every day and you do it as early as possible so that you're likely to do two or three or more of those. But here's what happens with your, and it's under, it's important to understand the neuroscience behind it is that our brains change all our lives. They used to think the brain stopped changing at, at around 20 years old. The reality is when we change our behavior, whether it's a habit or anything, we create new neural pathways. So when we start doing the boldness thing where we say people's names when we meet them, we offer a compliment, we're nice to them, we listen to them, we make eye contact with them, all of a sudden, this is a new neural pathway of behavior. We're not becoming a different person. We're just revealing more of ourselves because it's not trapped in the shell of the protective coating that we've put around ourselves. And even more importantly to me is the underconfident and hesitant neural pathways will atrophy over time as you behave more boldly until boldness is your default mode. Until you, you walk into an elevator and, and you're just, without even thinking about it, you've, you've talked to three people in the elevator. You've said something to that person or that person. You made a general comment about the building, whatever it is. Your people don't want to get off the elevator because you're, you've turned into this whole interaction in the elevator and you didn't do anything to, you didn't have to prime yourself to do it because now it's your reflex. Now your neural pathways are, are like, I just talk to people. You're not a different person. You're just Ian who talks to people. <laughs> I'm, I, I, that's not, I, I talk to strangers. Uh, uh, and when you do stuff every day, it aggregates. It aggregates in, in your neural pathways, but it aggregates to something bigger. It, 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 because you start doing the things that move you towards your dreams. 
towards who you start to become the full person you want to be. Your, your most dreams the people don't fail to achieve their dreams because they're too hard. They fail to achieve them because they don't get to them every day. They get to them when they feel like it. Oh, I want to ex- I'll exercise when I feel like it. How often is that? <laughs> Until <Anywhere>. you start <laughs> exercising every day, the, you know who feels like it? People who exercise every day. They, they got to go for a run. They go two days without a run. They start to go bonkers. They've, they've got to go for a run because they have taught themselves that that's, that's how they want to feel. They want to feel that exercise. So they've aggregated that part of their dream is to be extremely healthy, but they're getting to it every day. And that what happens when you don't get to something that's, that is your dream is a month goes by and then a year goes by and then 10 years goes by. What happens when you get to something every day? However, briefly it aggregates. So at the end of a year, you kind of aggregated something. Let's say you were trying to write a book. If you wrote one sentence a day, you would have a book of some kind at the end of a year. You may only have 365 sentences, but you'll actually have more because you've tricked yourself into starting. Like I said, you, you do a boldness exercise early in the day kind of feel good about it. You want another shot of that. So you do it again. You do it again. All of a sudden you've done five exercises a day to the point where they're not exercising anymore. This is your modus operandi. This is how you behave. And because it feeds you every bold act that you do is a positive reinforcement. The world is going to feed you something back and you're going to like it. And, and it's, it's, you know, you're going to get dopamine. You're going to get a serotonin response from these things. And it's going to become, I, I want to feel this way. I want to act this way. And I, and I don't need to, to listen to the voice that says, Oh, you might fail at this or you might be embarrassed or they might laugh at you. And may they may not think you're interesting. And you're starting to go, I am worthy of being, I am worthy of moving through the world. Because I belong everywhere, wherever I go, wherever I want to be, that's where I belong. I love that. It's that, just, I mean that, that every do it every day. That's the game. That, I mean that can be life changing. Just that, that alone. Never mind all the other great stuff you have in the book, and that's something I like from this podcast. It's improve yourself one percent every day in one part of your life. Doesn't matter what it is. Just before you know it, you're three hundred sixty five percent better. In you in yourself in some way at the end of the year, and a lot of time it's like they say you go to the gym, and if you don't feel like it, do one one set of one exercise, and that you get that wee sort of endomorphin feeling. So you do another one, and then you maybe go do another exercise, and you maybe try something you haven't done before, and before you know it, you've done an amazing workout and you feel great, and like you said, it then spirals into the next one, into the next one, and you have the confidence to go and be bold or somewhere else, and it can be life changing. And I think that's we just need to get our own way. You know, like you said, stop being the person that holds yourself back. Just go and do this every day. So you do mention in the book about writing about what not just what we're going to do in our goals, but what we're not going to do. You know, having a what we're not going to accept in our life. Could you give some examples of what people have said to you about what they're not going to accept? 
what kind of things should we be going forward going, that's not acceptable for my, you know, I'm not going to hold myself back. I'm not going to let the girl that I might be my future wife walk away. What kind of things should we be not accepting from ourselves? Uh, any sort of negative, it goes back to that worthiness. Whenever you hear the voice that you can interpret it says, wow, that sounds like Fred. It sounds like you think I'm not worthy that I don't, I'm not worthy to talk to this attractive woman. I'm not worthy of asking for a raise. Uh, I'm not worthy to start a business. When, when you hear that the voice is there, there's a self-protective voice and half the time it's an echo of your parents who don't want you to get hurt. So they, they do all this terrible messaging to you. Uh, don't want, don't do that. You're going to be embarrassed. People are going to laugh at you. Uh, don't be a show up, whatever. They're, they've got all of this stuff because they don't want you. Some of them are really terrible. It's like, don't fall in love. You're going to get hurt. Like you, you, there are parents who can transmit this marriage message because mm-hmm. they're not in love with their spouse and, they, and their life hurts. So they transmit that either by their actions or, or their end or their words. So you, you have to shut all that out. You, what you don't want to do is ignore the moments where you miss the opportunity. You're, because that's information for you. You say, why did I stop myself? You don't, again, we're not, we don't want to be the one who stops ourselves, but we want to notice when we did it and we are, wow, I hesitated. Why did I hesitate? What was the story I told myself? Is that true? We want to stop telling ourselves, listening to what we know is not true. That to just say, could that really be true? Oh, they're they're all going to laugh at me. All of them, because that is like every single person who witnesses this is going to laugh at you. I mean, th- but think how many times people say those actual words. Everyone's going to laugh at me, mm. and you just say. You realize what you just said is it, it, it couldn't possibly be true. So you want to stop and say, could it possibly be true? And if it's not, why am I listening? Why am I hesitating? Yeah. Why don't I find out what happens? Why, why don't I take failure on as an opportunity to learn something, to get better, to have some fun? When I started talking to strangers. It took me a while to stop trying to be so clever because I can be witty. I can be funny. So I'm thinking that's what I have to be in the first sentence. No, that's I'm, I'm making it a competition. I can be funnier than you. Right. And also everybody has a different sense of humor. I could, they could think I'm obnoxious or, Mm -hmm. you know, or sarcastic or whatever, any of those things. Instead, just be nice, be courteous, and then gently re- reveal your humor once you have a sense of theirs. It, uh, you, you, you don't know, want to connect the, to everybody. The, no, and and you're not going to make everybody laugh. Not everybody's going to get your references. Some people have no sense of humor at all. Some <laughs> people have an incredibly dark sense of humor. It's like you can't get too dark for them. Uh, they're going to laugh at the most horrific thing. Um, so you, you don't, you, you don't explore that ahead of time and you don't do the, the, 
the monologuing. Catch as soon as you catch yourself monologuing, you stop yourself. If you're playing top this, like they say something and you say, Oh yeah. When I was in Rome, I saw the Rolling Stones at the Coliseum and then I went backstage and it's like, they don't have anything to compare to that story. So you, it, it becomes a competition to who's got the better story. That doesn't endear you to anybody. And so don't do it. Don't play top this in a conversation. Go, it, it, even if you've got something more to, to add to it, you don't have to add to it. You don't have to correct people. When they say, oh, you know, I was in, I was in the Philadelphia, which is the capital of Pennsylvania, as everyone knows. You don't have to go, actually, it's Harrisburg. You can just shut up. Cause nobody, you will never endear anyone to you by correcting them. Not their grammar, not their posture, not their facts. If they say something, uh, that's not factual. You say, that's interesting that you say that. I, I wasn't sure about that. It, are, are you sure about that? Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Philadelphia is the capital of Pennsylvania. Oh, I know. It was one of the first cities in the world. Yeah. So, but guess what? There, you may, you, the fact that you doubted it, but didn't have to correct them, it, they may start to doubt it. They may, you, they're, you're not going to fix them by correcting them. Mm -hmm. That's not, you know, when people want advice when they ask for it. <laughs> so if you're going to give somebody advice, you can say, would you like a bit of advice? And it's okay if you don't, cause you know, it's just my opinion. And they'll say, no, 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 I would love your advice. Or, you know, I'm fine. Good. Don't give them advice. That unsolicited advice is, is one of the, one of the true conversation killers. You know what you should do. Oh, yep. oh, oh, please tell me, tell me how to make my life better with your wisdom. Uh, and it's, it's so easy to fall into these traps, but that, that's not how you connect with people. That's how you feel a little bit better about yourself and you don't feel as insecure. You feel a little more worthy because you went, I'm smarter than that. I, I know more than them. I can correct them. I can advise them. I'm always fascinated by these people who are life coaches and they're driving a 15 year old car and, and they're, they, you know, they're on their second divorce. It's like, what, what are you coaching? How are you coaching people? <laughs> um, but it's, they got a business card that says they're a life coach. It's that thing. And it's so, like, as soon as you start comparing yourself to somebody, you're already losing rather than finding mm -hmm. out about them, rather than connecting with them and seeing how, like, finding out more about them and finding out what makes them tick. The second you start saying, oh, well, I, I did this, I did that, you're thinking, you're already losing the battle. It should all, you know, <laughs> you should be turning it back to them. I mean, I I think this book should be, like, you know, your book should be something that's read to kids at all ages and because it's something that they should be taught when they're younger. You know, that to go out and find life. You know, I went to a talk from Jason Carl Fox and he's like, he was a former special forces soldier. Now he's an author, motivational speaker, and he does TV work and that. And he said, in the end of it, I really hope you now go out and chase your limits. But I really hope you never find them. And I think that's the thing is too many people spend life 
sad, depressed, living in the shadows, living in a shell because they don't want to step out of it. But you say in the book that it's 90 days. Can people really change that much, do you think? Have you got a favourite like reader transformation? How can, and Is it a lifelong I, I, journey? It's, the thing is, the 90 days creates that shift where you, you suddenly start to develop that appetite for venturing into your discomfort zone and ex- expanding and building your boldness muscle. It becomes mm-hmm. a lifelong journey, but it, be, it, it becomes second nature after a while, after a while. And everybody's journey is different and, and everybody starts at a different place. Some people are like, I can't get out of the house. So I'm, I'm reading the book. They're reading the book and I'm saying, you're going to have to go just smile at people. You're not going to be able to talk to people yet. Yeah. You're going to do this until you start to say, wow, I'm kind of enjoying the feedback loop of smiling at people. But it took me a week to smile at the first person. Great. But you did it. You're, everybody's going to work at their own pace. But if you do one of the dictums of the book, which is do something every day and then examine it, go back to your journal and say, what happened? What could have happened? How did I feel about that? Write that down and then you do it again the next day and the next day. You're going to move up through the exercises and you're, and you're, and you'll know when you need to go to the next level because they're starting to get easy. It's like, look, I can, I can introduce, I can any, I'll say anybody's name wherever I go and I'll, I, I don't have, I've, I've been, I've been in 20, uh, employees only rooms. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to move up and you move up to the next level and they get a little more challenging and you go, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. Good. That means you're going to have to figure out how to do that by the end of this level. And you will step yourself up. Now you may go from shy to way more confident in 90 days and, and realize there's way more to go. I'm still becoming bolder all the time. I'm, I'm finding those moments where I was like, wow, suddenly these stakes matter to me and it's making me hesitate. I wonder why that is. But I have the technique. You know, I break down the technique for how you approach any situation when you're feeling underconfident and you say, okay, how, step by step, how am I getting through this? How am I getting to this? Hmm. And, and once you say, okay, well, I'm going to stop listening to that voice. I'm going to, I'm going to tell myself I'm worthy and I'm going to prepare what I'm going to say. I'm going to relax myself. I'm going to have the insight that nobody's thinking about me as much as I think they are. And I'm not going to make it so intense that I retreat into my shell. And I'm just going to make sure I'm doing something like this every day. Those are the five steps of the pride method, preparation, relaxing, insight, controlling the dosage and everyday action. That the pride method is how you do the exercises, but eventually how you move through any situation where you feel challenged. And so that's the book is about doing stuff. The book is about taking these exercises on and working through them, knowing that if you did it for 90 days, in 90 days, you'll feel completely different about yourself. Your level of confidence, your social skills, all of those things will be so enhanced that you can't imagine not wanting to keep working on that forever until this is just your boldness muscle is is super powerful and you never miss opportunities. Because now you know what to do when you miss an opportunity. You go, ah, what, why? 
why did I hesitate? Now I get to examine it so that it doesn't I, I embrace the pain of, of the hesitation and say, yes, yes, I, I, I am. And maybe you turn around and fix it. You, you just say, I should have talked to that person. And I, you know, I, I wandered away and then somebody else started talking to him and I, I missed that opportunity. And you say, I'm, I'll, I will stand here and wait until they're alone again. And I'm going to walk over and talk to them. And, and because you went, I hesitated and I don't like it <laughs> and I'm not doing it anymore. And, and you just, and you'll get better and better and better and life will get richer and the real you will come out to the world and you will be perceived as charismatic eventually because you're confident in every situation that draws people in when they see that, when they see that you're confident and you're comfortable and you act like you belong wherever you are. People are drawn to that. That's all charisma is, is you just feel confident in every situation and, and you act on it and people are just pulled into that. It's, it's totally learnable. I learned it. I was not people. The reason I put the word charismatic in the, in the subhead is people tell me I am that. I I never thought of myself as that. And people started telling me that in the past few years, they said, wow, you're extremely charismatic. And I, me, (laughs) and oh yeah, do you not see what's happening when you are with people and and you're in a room or you're in front of a room and stuff like that? I said, yeah, I guess that's, that is what's happening. And I really started to understand it from a humble standpoint. I don't use it to just like, everybody should know me. (laughs) Um, I do it. (laughs) I, I, I do it because I want to connect with people. Mm-hmm. I, you know, my boldness is all about acting with integrity as well. It is not about taking advantage of people. It's not about uh, manipulating people. It's about bringing my full me out to the world, never missing an opportunity and really deeply connecting with the people I want to connect with. I'm blown away at the, the, the quality and the depth and the, the passion you have about it. I think we're only just touching the surface. So I think we have to do a round <laughs> two at some point and, you know, really get into this because I think we could talk about this for days. You know, we're both, you, you're, I'm very interested in this and you have such passion for this. But for people who are listening and thinking, right, great. I want to do something. I want to go. I want to go and achieve things. What would you set them as homework for the next? couple of weeks what would you say to them you know what do you want them to take from this interview as a, a go-home message a kind of here's your homework for the next chapter of your life so step one and i mentioned it before is talk to a stranger every day mm-hmm. find a way to say something use their name compliment them do that once a day for a week and Think about how it feels and how they reacted to that and know that you're going to bumble it. Maybe the first time you're not going to come up with a, a, a compliment that's that they responded to necessarily. You're trying to get good at it. And it's where it's a, a stranger. It's it's a it's a grocery clerk. It's a, it's the barista. Do something like this. Uh, when I get a Starbucks coffee, I'll get a nice latte and as I'll, I'll, the barista will hand it to me and I'll sip it and then I'll come back and I'll say, excuse me. And I'll give a little bit of that tone. 
and they'll go, Oh no, it's not, there's this complaint. And cause that's what people do. That's who's coming back to them. And I'll say, Angela, this was absolutely perfect. Thank you. And what did I do? I, how many people she makes 200 of these a day or 500? Who the heck knows? And the only person that talks to her about it is the person who's got, it's not right. And so I reversed it and I, her expectation was so low that I got to do this incredibly elevated thing. Just start doing stuff like that every day, every single day. And actually make a little journal, make a note of it. You're going to want to buy my book and learn how to do all the exercises, learn the other communication skills and interactive social skills that I talk about in the book as well. And you're going to want to do the exercises and understand how the pride method works and all of that. And you just, then you're going to get the book and then you're going to go into action, but just do that, do that for a week and it, it, it absorb how it feels, how different it is and how you, you won't want to go a day without doing a drive by compliment. It just love it. It will be I love that way of looking at it. Climbing into bed and you go like, I got to call somebody and compliment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that approach. Like of always making the other person better, leaving the other person better than you left them, you know, always looking to make it about them. And it's like that kind of, you know, I mean, imagine she'll remember you for the rest of her life, that person like going, oh, not another complaint. And it's you going, this is awesome. Thank you. You know, you made my day. And just a wee joke, a wee compliment will probably make her have a better day. And then she goes interact with better, more people. It just makes the world a better place. So until we can get around to organized and really get into it, what do you want for people to follow? You know, how do you want them to use the book? How do you want them to follow you on social media and get in touch and see this amazing work and come to the venture? And it's a perfect time to show, so, share your social media links as well. Yeah. So the book is available on Amazon in a hardcover, uh, audible with me reading it and, uh, Kindle in the digital form. So there's three ways, uh, that you can read it. If you read it in some sort of digital form or are listening to it, you can go to my website, fredjoyle.com and download the exercises so that you can have a physical copy of the exercises. Cause if you're listening to the book, you're going, these are all these exercises. <laughs> I got to start doing them. So, uh, you, you need a hard copy. So you can always get that from my website as a download a PDF. Uh, you can also download the first chapter of the book for free on my website. So that's that's the easiest way. Now, I do keynotes for businesses. If you want to uh, grow your team and, and, you know, you let's say you got a sales force or a customer service force or whatever and, and talk about this. Uh, I coach CEOs. Uh, I, I have three or four of them that I coach and I could do a couple more um, because a lot of CEOs know they got some confidence issues or blind spots in their social skills. Uh, I coach them too. And so uh, eventually I'm going to do two day workshops on uh, Super Bowl and that will be really fun because then it won't be 90 days. It'll be two days that, that you will be come out in a radically different place with a whole different set of behaviors that you're going to be trying, but you're going to feel very differently about yourself. So those will be launched sometime this year. Uh, and I, I, I'm 
going to do one and see how it goes and then uh, refine it and then launch a, a one a month after that. I think they're going to be awesome because I'm just blown away by just the book, by the quality of the answers. It's, you know, I'm just sitting there sometimes forgetting I've got to ask another question. I was too busy listening and thinking how I'm going to implement it in my own life. And I can see why you've been so successful with this. But can you tell people before you go, just a quick little sort of oversight into how you ended up playing chess with a certain big name person? How did you go from the shy <laughs> version of yourself to winning? You know, like you're about, you know, the the bio is amazing. You know, like how how did you go from that to beating um, chess? And how I'll be sharing that story everywhere. But, you know, <laughs> could you mention that story? Because I think it's awesome. Yeah, so I was on Necker Island, which is one of the islands he owns in the British Virgin Islands. We're talking about Sir Richard Branson. And uh, the, I was with a group of business people and we, we rent the island for about 30 of us for the day, for, for the week. And sometimes he's there and sometimes he's not. That's not part of the deal, but he lives on Mosquito Island, which is another island. Uh, but, but if his wife's not around, he, he bounces in and he hangs out with some of the business people, plays tennis and, 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 uh, and joins us for a meal occasionally. And so I was playing tennis and I ruptured my Achilles tendon and, uh, it, and I couldn't walk basically. And I, but I called a, a surgeon in the, in the States and he said, well, th- it was the first day of the vacation that happened. He said, there's no reason to come home. He says, it's not healing on its own. Uh, just, you might as well stay there and enjoy the vacation as much as possible. And so I'm sitting there watching people play tennis and Richard comes by because he's heard about me, of uh, this happening. He goes, Oh, this is such a bother that this has happened to you. Uh, do you happen to play chess? Now I hadn't played chess in 40 years, let's say. Uh, mm. and, and so the shy Fred would have went, Oh no, I don't. The hesitant person, the underconfident person goes, Oh no, I don't, I, I don't play chess. And you know, I haven't played in so long. Um, but this confident Fred just said, Oh yeah, I play chess. <laughs> and so he says, he waves to somebody, he says, bring us a chessboard, bring us a chessboard. And we sat on this couch and we sat up and played. Now, this is all my social skills refined. I know that he's a multi-billionaire and, but I know how to behave like a human being with another human being. I don't start interviewing him. I don't start doing all of these things that people do. They'll, they'll ask him for money for their business. They'll do crazy stuff. I'm finally getting to re- reach Richard. I meet Richard. I'm going to, you know, I, I got to extract value out of this. I just started mm-hmm. talking about stuff. We were very politically aligned and we were, we were talking about that. He had very strong feelings about Trump and uh, this was prior to the, the election. And so we were, were talking about that. And then I, I, because I hadn't played chess in so long, I played such an unconventional game <laughs> that he didn't see me checkmate him. Cause he was just like, what is his plan? He just, I think it was incomprehensible to him. And I finally said, uh, oh, that's check. Actually, it's checkmate. And he was, what? He, and, and he calls me a really bad name and he immediately sets the chessboard up a play to play again. 
And we ended up, he, he kept trying to find me over the rest of the five days to play chess with him. And at dinners, he'd say, sit, sit across from me, sit across from me. Cause he wanted to talk. Uh, he didn't want to be interviewed. He wanted to talk politics and other stuff and health because no. uh, I was very into anti-aging. So we're talking about all of that. So it was all just because I didn't say, oh, no, I don't play chess. I said, yes, I play chess, even though it was going to be badly because I've played chess with people who are really good and they beat me in six moves. Um, but he he's you know, I just really focused. He kept yelling at me that I was taking too long to make my moves, which was also fun. Uh, but it's it, it's just being open, treating everyone like a human being, and saying I belong here, and that those kind of things can happen. Well, that's it for another week, and thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.